Oh, good morning, church, and welcome to first service here today. It's good to be with you, and you know, my heart is so full this morning. Uh, you know, last week, we baptized 56 people. I mean, just think about that. Because of so many people being faithful in so many moments in every one of those lives. And that's just an amazing, beautiful thing. I mean, as the morning went on last week, it just got more and more emotional as the morning went on. It was just a beautiful thing. And, and we as God's church, we get to be part of that. And, and I just want to say it again, every one of us who is so faithful over time, I mean... <laughs> Some of you have been listening to me for 17 years. Think about that. I mean, right? Yeah, applaud yourself because it's an enormous amount of grace that it takes to do that. But look what happens when we just, we stick together, we serve together, we, we pray and worship together, we give together. I mean, wow. And this morning... <laughs> This morning for the first Sunday, that kids' building over there next to us is open and full of kids. So, I mean, you know, I, I can't possibly express enough appreciation and thanks for everyone who has worked so hard for so long to bring that to pass. I mean, church... Again, and I've got, a, I've got a list three pages long of people who just gave special gifts to build that building. Um, it, it's overwhelming. And then, and then all of us who, who have been faithful for so long to bring that to pass, and then, and then all who have served in our kids' ministry who are serving. And, and every time, Pastor Allison, she, we were just talking about this yesterday, Every single time in this whole process that she said, hey, could somebody help us with this? We just get flooded with people. They like drop out of the sky. And they do everything from building equipment to washing windows and vacuuming carpets and setting up stuff. And, and it's just, it's amazing and overwhelming. And, and, and on top of that, there's a, a team, a building team here at MRCC that for the last two years has put in an enormous amount of work behind the scenes that no, none of us will ever see. And the leader of that team, I, I don't even have words, literally hundreds if not thousands of hours spent shepherding this whole project. If you think that I was leading and achieving this building project, you should talk to my wife about my ability to do stuff around the house, okay? Because I was not. And there are so many people this morning. And, and here's what God says, church, because you're one of those people know this. The Lord says, if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones, he's talking about kids, even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones, because they belong to me, I tell you, they will never lose their reward. It goes on forever and ever. And this is incredibly beautiful stuff. Can we, can we just, with all our hearts, thank everybody who's worked so hard to make that happen? Can we just do that? Yeah. 
someone who's been at the center of the whole thing <laughs> and the last thing in the world he wants is for anybody to call any attention to him but church I just can't help it and I'm not going to ask him to stand up because he'll just die he might die right in front of us all right if I do that but I'm talking thousands of hours of love and work behind the scenes I'm not kidding I'm not exaggerating that much time and effort these last few years, never asking for anything in return other than, as he's told me many times, I just want to serve the Lord like everybody else. And so uh, I won't ask him to stand, but I have to tell you, that's our brother Larry Bolek. Larry and Gail Bolek this morning. and personally apologize to Larry for doing that to him <laughs> because I know I know his heart I also know that yesterday was his birthday <laughs> happy birthday to you happy birthday to you happy birthday dear Larry happy birthday to you Amen. And you know who gave up every one of those hours was his wife, Gail. And, yeah. She told me in secret that that was actually a deep blessing to her. But uh, anyway, yeah, so. But for, for all of us, for everyone. And, and church, can I take just a moment? We have a little video clip of the kids this morning, some of the kids this morning uh, next door worshiping. While, while we were worshiping this morning. We just want to give you a glimpse. And if you haven't gone into the building, please do. But um, let's just take a quick look at that up here. Yeah, just one of our rooms. I don't know who the giant koala is, but you can go next door and find out who that is. But, you know, in all seriousness, let, let's, let's pray and thank God for enabling us to, to serve kids, to serve him, uh, to serve his church. And so would you bow your heads with me this morning? God, we... We know that at the end of the day, Lord, every gift that we use to serve you is a gift you've given us. God, a gift that you've shared with us. And this morning, we are so thankful that you've allowed us to work with you in this way and to serve our kids in this way and to serve you and your church in this way. And we are filled with gratitude for that, Lord. God, help us to, to remember that as we continue, each of us doing our part, that there's really no limit. You can use us so much. And God, uh, <laughs> help us, Lord, to, to feel that and to finish this race, Lord. 
to serve all the way home, knowing that the, the rejoicing will be so worth it. God, thank you for helping us to serve together. We ask your blessing on, on our morning as we open your word together. Speak to us. Help us to hear you. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. I could just lay down and contemplate all this for a while, but you would probably not like that much. So open your Bible, if you would, to Luke's Gospel, chapter 18, and we're going to continue our journey together through Luke's Gospel. Luke, chapter 18, beginning with verse 18, and we're going to wind up this journey together through this road trip uh, by the end of the year. Oh, uh, a quick announcement before I forget. Uh, another thing to celebrate, kids, again, we uh, we uh, disseminated a little over 400 Operation Christmas Child boxes this year, and those are coming back. But friends, if you still have yours at home, we need them back by next Sunday. Uh, you can drop them off during the week at the church office. Uh, you can drop, bring them in next Sunday, and we'll be able to take them and load them up. Uh, but next Sunday is our, our deadline for our Operation Christmas Child Boxes. So thanks to everybody who took some home. Uh, we need to get them back by next Sunday. Again, you can come during the week, uh, whatever's convenient for you. But a beautiful thing, uh, Samaritan's Purse. I think this is our 13th year in a row of, of doing this and touching the most uh, disadvantaged kids around the world with Christmas blessings. So thank you for that. Next Sunday's the deadline. Okay. Luke's Gospel, chapter 18, beginning with verse 18. Let me, let me ask you to ask yourself this. What does it take to really change your mind? Uh, it, it, it's hard to change our minds, sometimes especially as we get older. What does it take for you to allow your thinking to be transformed? You heard uh, maybe about the little girl. I love the story. She raised her hand in science class at school one morning and told her teacher, hey, in children's church, I learned that Jonah got swallowed by a whale. Well, honey, the teacher said, that's probably impossible. You see, whales don't swallow people. And the little girl said, but, but the Bible says it really happened. And the teacher said, well, honey, I don't think so. So the little girl said, well, when I get to heaven, I'll just ask Jonah myself. Teacher said, well, what if he's not there? She said, then you can ask him. <laughs> Being silly, right? But what does it take? What does it take to change your mind? And, and, and let me make that a little more pointed. What does it take to change your mind about sacrifice, about making sacrifices, about being willing to make sacrifices. A lot of times we spend our emotional energy desperately trying to avoid making sacrifices. I know that's my tendency. I know it's probably yours as well. But the making of sacrifices is actually the road to joy. We're going to hear Jesus talk about that this morning. A few years ago, the Nike Corporation began running a very unusual TV commercial. <laughs> actually, they've run a number of unusual ones. But this one was criticized for being too extreme. But it definitely made its point. 
It's all about the sacrifices that people rejoice in, that people make for the sake of joy. And so it shows a series of athletes revealing the price they've paid in order to pursue their joy. Take a, take a, uh, uh, give your attention to the screen for a moment. You are so Yeah, you get it, you feel it. People who have made a sacrifice that they rejoice in. Mike Foligno, the ad's creator, explains the commercial very simply. He says, beauty is really in the eye of the beholder. To these athletes and their fans, their scars are beautiful because they earn them doing what they love. And there are some joys, the pursuit of which make whatever sacrifices are necessary to pursue them, not, all, not just irrelevant, but turns that sacrifice into a joy. If that sounds crazy, then listen to what our Bible says to us, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. Who, for the joy that he would feel, that he knew he would find, went willingly to the cross on our behalf. Let us fix our eyes on him and understand that he did it for joy that he did it to discover a kind of joy that our vain, vapid, shallow, modern culture often completely loses touch with. The joy of a willing sacrifice. I, I wonder how many of us, I wonder how many people would say that there's something missing in your life. We have the peace that comes from knowing Jesus is our Savior, but sometimes, if we're honest, we would confess to sometimes feeling a little bored, feeling a little distracted, feeling a little unsatisfied. May I suggest that the reason isn't because we don't have God's Spirit living in us, but because we do. And he's the one calling us to the kind of joy that Jesus followed to the cross. This morning, God wants to talk to us about scars, about passion, about pursuing something that hurts, 
pursuing something that costs us something, which may leave you with aches and pains. It may leave you bruised and exhausted, but it will also leave you satisfied. Luke chapter 18, beginning with verse 18. Here's what the Bible says. A certain ruler asked him, a certain ruler, a leader, a prominent man in the culture. Mark tells us he was a young man. Uh, Matthew tells us he had become wealthy, was a rich, young ruler. A certain ruler asked him, asked Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And, and to give a little more context for this moment, listen to how Mark describes this moment in verse 17 of chapter 10. The Bible says, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Can you feel his passion, his energy? He fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What a moment. This is somebody taking eternity seriously. This is somebody not ignoring it or pretending it isn't real. And this is somebody not evading what's going on in his own heart, not trying to numb it or anesthetize it. This is somebody bringing all of that to God, to the Son of God, to Jesus. And there's three things we need to understand about this man. First of all, he was passionate. He was serious about what he was asking. This guy understood that eternity <laughs> means everything. He's not just pretending that, that now is forever. He, he knows that he's scheduled to disembark from this earthly train and step into the real world that's coming. He feels that deeply and openly. And so it's the guiding, driving force in this moment, in this part of his life. Let me just ask you, how seriously, my friend, do you take eternity? Do you take it less seriously than the Seahawks game today? Some do. Do you take it less seriously than your hopes for your career? Do you take it less seriously than what happens inside your own mind and heart in your relationship to God? How seriously do you take eternity? This man's taken it seriously, and it's brought him to this moment of vulnerability, this moment of openness. And we might expect Jesus to say or to respond as if this man's intensity and passion is all that matters. And sometimes we act like passion is all that matters. If we're not excited about our faith, it isn't real. What nonsense. Jesus' response in this moment is a serious one. He challenges the man to recognize that there's more to faith than just getting excited. There's more to faith than just getting wound up. Notice how Jesus responds. This guy comes and he throws this dramatic question out. And the Lord's response is very low-key in a sense. Verse 19, he says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. In other words, Jesus is challenging him to realize that taking eternity seriously means taking him seriously. His response to this man's passion is to say, hey, I hear you, I feel you. But how seriously do you take me? Why do you call me good? Only God is good. There's a certain irony there. He is the son of God. He is God the son. God come among us incarnate. So he's asking the guy, hey, do you really recognize what you're saying? Do you understand? 
that your maker is standing in front of you? Are you ready to take that seriously? Our Christian faith, friends, asks that we take this man, Jesus, more seriously than we take safe driving or gun safety or keeping our kids out of the street or you name it, more seriously than everything. Sometimes we live with a kind of cognitive dissonance in our faith in that we say, I'm following Jesus, but we take a lot of other things more seriously. And so the Lord in this moment is challenging this man He's saying, hey, your passion, that's good, but are you willing to go beyond it? Are you willing to encounter the ramifications of it? Are you willing to engage with me as deeply as you're willing to engage with eternity? I remember years ago when Ron and I were taken up in a small private plane by a friend of ours. Ron was his name. He had a private plane. Rhonda was nurturing a, a dream of, of being a pilot someday, of earning her pilot's license. and So Ron found out about it when we were having a conversation one day at lunch, he said, hey, I'll take her up and, and let her fly. So we went up in his little Cessna over Seattle on a Friday night. It was a beautiful night. Uh, it was a beautiful couple of hours that we spent together. And then about halfway through it, Ron said, hey, Rhonda, do you want to fly the plane? In that moment, I had real questions about the whole experience. I wasn't <laughs> sure I wanted that to happen. Ron was like, no, it's no problem. Here, take the stick. And he, he gave control of the plane to her. Now, I have to tell you that for the next 15 minutes or so, I, I really wanted Rhonda to pay attention to Ron <laughs> and to everything that he was saying because she was flying us uh, above Seattle. Jesus is inviting this man to take him seriously. And, and he's inviting us to do the same. He's inviting you in this moment. He's saying, hey, you get passionate, you get excited about God, that's great, but does that extend to taking what Jesus says seriously. There's lots of people who believe in Jesus, but fewer who believe Jesus. And in this moment, the Lord is challenging this man to recognize. Now, he's got a reason for it. He's got a great reason for it, and we're going to get there. The second thing we want to know about this, this young man is that he's a good guy. Jesus responds to him and says to his question, what must I do to inherit life? Jesus says, hey, you know the commandments. Don't commit adultery, don't lie, don't steal, you know, et cetera, and so forth. He says, you know the Ten Commandments. And indeed, church, those, those are the foundation of a life that is good. Don't, don't let anybody deceive you into thinking otherwise. God's commandments are given for our welfare, for our blessing, for our benefit. Imagine what the world would be like if people just followed God's Ten Commandments. And so Jesus says to this young man, hey, you know the commandments. And, and look at the young man's response, verse 21. He says, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Wow. We just learned something about this young man that, that reveals who he is, his personality, his temperament, his heart. He's been obeying God's commandments throughout his life. He has put God's invitations, God's expectations, God's commandments first in his life. And he's done that throughout his life. And it's, it's brought blessing. But, but listen, church, this whole thing, this whole idea that just keeping God's commandments is enough is not where the story is going. The truth of the matter is that God seeks more. But before we talk about that more, let's just reflect on this young man's confession for a moment. Living life according to God's commandments always yields benefits. And this 
young man has become successful at a young age because he's taken God's ways seriously. The same will happen for any of us who begin to take God's ways seriously. So I'm, I'm amazed sometimes I'll, I'll ask a, a believer, hey, do you believe in God's Ten Commandments? Yes. Can you name them? <laughs> Most people can't. I well, can get six, seven of them down. I think, wow, don't you realize those are the fundamentals of experiencing God's blessing in your life? Well, this young man knows them. He follows them. And it's not easy to do that. It's hard to do that, especially in our world, in our time. C.S. Lewis writes that the only man who truly understands temptation is not the one who's given into it. It's not the alcoholic who understands alcoholism. It's the person who said no to it. It's the person who spent a lifetime saying no to it because they discover the depths of the temptation and how strong it can be. The one who knows the most about sin is the one who never sinned, Jesus, because he resisted the temptation all the way to the end. This young man is living like that. But there's more. All the commandments Jesus listed had to do with not harming your neighbor. And the young man was essentially saying, I've never harmed or done wrong to anyone in my life. But the real question is, the real question that God asks us is what good have you done? Who have you helped? Who, to whom have you made a difference, Greg? To whom have you made the difference? This is where many people miss out. We haven't harmed anyone, we say, so we're good. But God says, have you done any good? And that's precisely the reason why the young man felt the lack of something. He says, all these commandments I have kept, what remains? What must I still do? And that leads to the third thing we learn about this young man is that he's, he's struggling on the inside in his soul in his heart, in his spirit. That's what's brought him to this moment of passion. That's what's brought him to this moment of vulnerability. That's what's caused him to, to fling himself in front of Jesus on his knees and say, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now understand the word eternal life doesn't just mean go to heaven someday, all right? Eternal life, the Greek word is zoe. It's distinguished from bios. Bios is to live. Zoe is to really live. And when the young man asks, Jesus, he's asking about Zoe. He uses that word. He says, that the, the life of God, the life that I'm meant to live, the life that we're meant to experience as his creations. And Mark tells us that when Jesus heard him, he looked at him and loved him. Don't miss that moment. Don't miss that moment. Jesus, when we get to the end of the story, a lot of people are going to be down on the rich young ruler. Jesus wasn't. Jesus understood what he was going through. Jesus felt for him. Jesus recognized the struggle in his heart, just like he recognized the struggle in yours and mine. He looked at him and he loved him. The Lord understood his pain. And he feels for us, catch this, friends, when we try to not do bad without doing good, when we try to just avoid all the no's without embracing all the yes. And note, this young man is trying to fill his void by asking what must, catch this, what must I do? This young man thinks that his experience of Zoe, of spiritual life, depends on what he does, on how high he climbs the ladder, on how many achievements he's able to manage. But Jesus wants something for him more than from him. Don't miss that. 
Jesus wants something for him more than he wants something from him. Lots of us spend our lives saying, God, what do you want from me? And the whole time, God is saying, no, 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 I want something for you. And whenever I call you or direct you, it's always for you. It's always because I'm a father and you're my daughter. You're my son. It's always because my love for you desires to bless you. What does the Bible say? Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Faith is believing not only that God's there, but that he desires to bless those who earnestly seek him. Yeah. And there's that in Jesus' heart in this moment. And what he's going to invite the man to is to change his mind about sacrifice. He's going to invite him to change his mind about sacrifice. Watchman Nee tells the true story of a Chinese Christ follower some years ago who owned a rice paddy next to a rice paddy owned by a communist man. The Christ follower irrigated his rice paddy by pumping water out of a canal using a bicycle pump he had to ride for several hours every day. Next time you want to complain about your work, think of this guy, all right? But each day, after he rode that pump for several hours to irrigate his field, his neighbor, the communist man, would come and remove the boards that held the water in his field and let it flow down into his own field to irrigate it so he didn't have to pump. Now, if that happened in Edomclaw, there might be gunplay, right? <laughs> but neither of them had one, so, you know, this is a struggle. This went on for weeks. You ever had a neighbor like that? Finally, the Christ follower prayed and said, Lord, if this keeps up, I'm going to lose all my rice, maybe even my field, and I've got a family to care for. What should I do? You know, it's in a moment like that that a division occurs between those who believe in the grace of God and those who don't, those who are willing to do things Jesus' way and those who just want to slap a Jesus bumper sticker on their own agenda. Because when this man prayed, he felt in his heart that God answered him clearly. God said, I too have a child to take care of. Why have you given no thought for him and his eternal destiny? So the next morning, the Christian man rose much earlier than usual. And in the pre-dawn hours of darkness, he removed the boards between the fields himself. And he rode the bicycle pump an extra couple of hours until the neighbor had received enough water to irrigate his field. Then he put the board back and pumped his own field. And he did this day after day. It went on for several weeks. It got to be such a challenge that his health was starting to suffer. His wife got angry with him for the way he seemed to be giving in to his neighbor's injustice. But after several weeks... The communist man caught him one morning and with tears in his eyes, thanked him and apologized. And the two of them began to talk and became friends. And you know where the story's going. The Christian man led his neighbor to become a follower of Jesus Christ. That's the joy that drove Jesus to the cross. That's the joy that is the one thing missing to this rich young ruler's life. That's the invitation that God gives to all his sons and daughters to, to think about sacrifice differently than what does it do for me? Is it fair? Is it just? No, no, no. God says, hey, I want to invite you to think above and beyond that because this kind of thing, church, is what we're made for. 
And it's actually what our souls crave. You still lack one thing, Jesus answered him, verse 22. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and come follow me. <laughs> wow. Now, there's a couple of important things to catch here. There's a couple of things if you want to understand, you're going to miss the point. We're going to miss the point. First, Jesus doesn't give this invitation to everyone all the time. In fact, this is the only guy to which he says this. It's the only person to which he says, sell everything. See, sometimes we hear this and go, Jesus is commanding all of us to sell everything now and become itinerant whatevers. But that wasn't what Jesus said to everyone. He only says it to this man. And he says it for a very important and specific reason. The Bible doesn't say that money itself is a sin, church. We talked about this a few weeks ago. It's a tool. But the love of money, of course, that's a different animal. So Paul tells us in 1 Timothy 6, people who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap, many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for it, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Every time I read that, I hear God saying, Greg, understand that when I call you away from a focus on money, I'm not calling you away from blessing. I'm calling you to blessing. I'm calling you to understand that it goes deeper. God the Father is concerned about us being pierced by many griefs. I know a man who struggles with huge mood swings. I advised him to get rid of his guns, and he did. I wouldn't say that to everyone, but this particular man needs to do that. In the same way, Jesus says this to this man, but he might say something different to you or me. It'll be along the same lines, but it'll have to do with where we are as individuals. Because he's a father, and we're not just statistics, we're names, faces, kids. Second, understand that Jesus wasn't demanding a sacrifice from the young man. He was inviting him to discover the answer to the question he himself was asking. Inviting him to discover that Zoe comes from not just not doing what's bad, but from giving yourself to the sacrifice of doing what's good. And the scripture says... The young man went away sad because he was a man of great wealth. Underline the word because. And then ask yourself, why did he turn Jesus down? And then ask yourself, what could cause you to say no to an invitation from Jesus? There may be something. This man, when he was invited to step away from his wealth, he went away, catch it, very sad. In other words, he'd gotten right up to the edge of the answer, to the question that his soul was asking. And then when he heard the answer, he backed away. Why? Because his mind hadn't been changed yet about sacrifice. Because he didn't know the joy that was going to drive Jesus to the cross. I wonder if you do. I wonder if I do. God is asking us, hey, do you want joy? Is that what you really want? Do you really want to take me seriously? Then understand that you're going to find what you're looking for when you choose to make sacrifices to serve other people, to serve people that you are able to serve. This young man, verse 23 tells us, was a man of great wealth. He had stuff he wasn't willing to live without, and that's the greatest danger of having stuff. Don't miss how Jesus feels about him. This is how God feels about you and me when he calls us to give up or embrace something. He doesn't get mad at us. He feels sad for us. He doesn't condemn. He grieves. 
Jesus ends up pitying the man. Look at what he says in verses 24. He sees the man go away sad. And he says, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God, to experience the leadership of God in his life. How hard it is. Because the man's thinking is so hard to change. He believes that sacrifice is what he doesn't want. When in fact, the truth is, it's what he does want. If what you have has you, then you're in a bad spot. You're in a sad spot. I read about a little boy who was brought into the emergency room in San Antonio, Texas, with his hand stuck in a brass vase. He put it in, couldn't get it out. And he was crying and scared, and his family had tried everything, and they couldn't get out, so they brought him to the emergency room. And in the ER, they tried some tricks, cooking oil and so on. Finally, they had one of the facilities guys come up from downstairs, because when you need something done, you always got to go get the facilities guys, right? And he cut the top of the vase open with a metal cutter, and the little boy was able to get his hand out, which was when they discovered that the reason he couldn't get his hand out of the vase because he had it wrapped around a 50-cent piece that was inside of it, and he wasn't willing to let go of it right? He's miserable. He was sad. He was crying. He was scared, but he wasn't going to let go of that 50 cent piece. His mom said afterwards, I got lots of 50 cent pieces. I could have given him a ton of 50 cent pieces, you know, but he just couldn't see that. In the same way, Jesus invites us to let go of what controls us so we can find the joy of sacrifice to serve somebody else. Nothing less can satisfy us. Now, the disciples hear this, verse 26 and 27, and <laughs> and because their thinking still has to grow, listen to how they respond. Those who heard this asked, well, who then can be saved? Jesus replied, guys, listen, what's impossible with men is possible with God. Church, we must remember that it is grace that saves us. It isn't what we do, but it's what Jesus has done on the cross for us that saves us. So this story isn't about what this man needs to do in order to have eternal life, in order to enter heaven. It's about what God wants him to discover. Are you resting in Jesus' finished work on the cross or trying to make yourself worthy? The man thought that whatever Jesus would say to him would be another ladder to climb, another mountain to ascend, another achievement to score. And he thought that was the way forward. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. You're looking the wrong direction. The Bible says some people enter heaven like naked people escaping burning houses. Why? Because they never understood the joy of sacrifice. And this morning, God invites us to recognize that. Choosing the sacrifices that hurt us because of the joy they represent. Listen again. We're almost done. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Let us fix, Greg, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Yeah. Jesus, watch him. Or Greg, watch him. What he's doing is what you want to learn to do because that's where you're going to find what you're aching for, the joy of sacrificing to serve others. Peter, Peter hears this. He says to him, verse 28, we have left everything to follow you. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. No one who's left home or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. So he's saying, Peter, Peter, no, don't misunderstand what's happening. First of all, I save you by grace. What is impossible with men is possible with God. I'm gonna go to the cross for you. But Peter, understand that what I'm inviting you to do is to discover something in this life. The joy that I live with. 
that only comes from sacrifice. In other words, he says, when you choose to live an extreme life, you won't regret it. You know, when I saw that Nike commercial, what it made me think of is the fact that five times I've blown my knees playing basketball. And every time I had to go through this big surgery and this huge long rehab, and every time people around me would say, well, are you done now? No, I'm not done. I can't wait to play again. I got a rehab so I can play again. Then I blew it again. After like the fourth time, a doctor friend of mine said, are you done now? I said, no, let's rehab so I can play. It's so fun. He said, you're insane. I said, no, I'm sane. Because it's what we do for joy that really brings joy. I don't regret the five surgeries. I'd do 10. I like to think of Mark Sclareth. I'm trying to catch up to him. He's a NFL offensive lineman, he uh, does NFL games now. He's had 11 knee surgeries, so I always tell my wife, i got six more to go to catch up to Mark. Yeah. God wants us to live with that kind of thinking about sacrifice. Let me ask you as we get ready to close this morning, are you, are you living to serve and help others no matter what it costs, no matter what sacrifice is involved, or trying to just stay color inside the lines without ever reaching outside of them. Our souls can't be satisfied by anything less than a life lived in sacrifice to serve and bless others. And so Jesus winds it up, this story, verses 31 and following. Jesus took the 12 aside and he told them, he said, hey, we're going up to Jerusalem. Everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He'll be handed over to the Gentiles. They'll mock him, insult him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. And on the third day, he will rise again. And I'm going into that for joy. I'm going into that for the joy of saving you, Peter, for the joy of saving you, James, for the joy of saving you, Mary and Martha and all the rest. I'm going there for joy. The Lord says, I'm living a sacrificial life. Understand it, fellas. Notice that he says this right after this moment with the rich young ruler because he doesn't want the disciples to have one thing missing like the rich young ruler did. And they did ultimately understand that because they all went on to live the same kind of life. Sometimes we think this Christian life is, is about just winning in the world. And then we get discouraged when it's hard and when it hurts. But Jesus says that's what we should expect. I remember my staff sergeant platoon leader when I was stationed in Iceland, he sat us down one day and he was a Vietnam veteran. This was many years ago. He had served in Vietnam and he said, guys, if you ever have to go to combat, it's going to be awful. It's going to be way worse than you think. You need to expect that. And he said, the only thing that will keep you together in the midst of it, if you believe what you're doing is worth it. He said, you have to decide that now. Because when the bullets start flying, it's too late to, to set your mind. It's too late to set your heart. You've got to decide, you know what? I'm willing to make that sacrifice. He says, that's where the courage comes from. That's where you'll find yourself staying together. The Lord says a willingness to embrace a life of sacrifice is the only thing that will satisfy us. The only thing, we're almost done. It's the only thing that will satisfy you. It's the only thing that can satisfy your soul and mine is to live that life. Let me, let me finish with a story. Shiloh Harris was just 18 years old when 911 happened. And when he experienced all the horror and fear and everything that we all did when those awful things happened, he said, I got to do something. 
I gotta do something. So he volunteered to serve in the army. He enlisted in the army and that led to several tours ultimately in Iraq. It was in February of 2007 when he and three close friends were riding in a Humvee and drove over an improvised explosive device and it blew up. And two of his best friends died. Him and another friend were critically injured. He suffered severe burns over 70% of his body, lost his ears, lost the tip of his nose, lost several fingers. His spine was fractured. His collarbone was broken in multiple places. He spent the next 48 days in a coma because of brain swelling, because of the injuries that he suffered. But he eventually recovered. He's a Christian man. Now he spends his life traveling around the country, talking to teenagers in high schools and universities about the joy of sacrifice. And here's his message. He says, a lot of you might look at me and think that I regret my decision to sacrifice, but I don't. He said, if I was given the choice to live my life over again and not make that decision to sacrifice, I'd make it again. Because he says it's worth it. It's worth it. In my heart, in my soul, it's worth it. And his message is the same one Jesus is bringing to the rich young ruler. The same one the spirit of Jesus is bringing to us today. So let me just ask you as we close. How do you think about sacrifice? Something to be avoided? Something to be kind of escaped from? Or something to be sought after as the Lord leads so that we can know his joy? Is there a place in your life where you sacrifice to serve others? That's funny, when I do counseling with folks, a lot of times I'll walk them through an old Christian discipline called the discipline of secrecy. And every time it's the same. I'll say, hey, here's what I want you to do this week. I want you to find a way to serve and bless somebody without anybody knowing. Don't tell anybody. Don't let them see you. Don't let anybody else see you. Don't let anybody know about it. Just come back and tell me about it. <laughs> it's so awesome. They come back and that was so fun. I say, yeah, keep doing it. It's a source of joy. Jesus is inviting you and me to know that this morning. Would you bow your head? Close your eyes with me. Oh, Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for teaching us. Thank you for how you feel about this young man. Thank you, God, for the invitation that you gave him and the invitation that you give us. And Lord, some of us are are feeling like, man, I color inside the lines, but it feels like something's still missing. And you're inviting us to recognize that it's when we sacrifice to serve somebody else. It's when we go out of our way to give up our time, our energy. It's when we serve that we find joy. God, send us from here, hearing your invitation, understanding your heart and giving it being willing to experience it. We pray for that. We ask it this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me, church? I feel like I could have just been the whole morning saying thank you, but um, yeah. Now may the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit go with you throughout this week. Go with God. Tell someone you love them. Have a great afternoon.